0: All right, let's look together in John 19 and start reading in verse 25. <clears throat> now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple Behold thy mother And from that hour that disciple Took her unto his own home After this Jesus Knowing that all things were now accomplished That the scripture might be fulfilled Saith I thirst Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar And they filled a sponge with vinegar And put it upon hyssop, And put it to his mouth When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar He said it is finished And he bowed his head And gave up the ghost. I've titled my message this morning. Scriptures Fulfilled. Scriptures Fulfilled. Now here at. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three groups of people. Three different groups of people. First of all there's the Jews. The Jews who. As Jack said. Hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Sought to lay hands on him. Well the hour has come. That they should take him, should lay hands upon him. The Jews who hated him, rejected him, the religious leaders, they despised their own Messiah, rejected him. And they were there to delight in seeing his sufferings. They were there to enjoy seeing our Lord Jesus Christ in his agony. And then second group was the Roman soldiers. Now these Roman soldiers were there, they were there out of duty. They was just like anybody else in the military. They went where they was told to go and do what they are told to do. So they were there because they was there. The next day, if they crucified anybody, it might be some different soldiers. But they were there just out of duty. And then the third group were those who knew and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only five of them. Only five. There was his mother... His mother's sister. Then there was two different Marys. And there's only five of them, and one man, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And these weren't at a distance, but it says there in verse 25, they stood by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we picture the cross, most people, when they picture the cross, they picture it being real, real tall, real high. And and a a beam with two crosses, with a cross across it. But that's not the way it was. When you look up the word cross or tree in the scriptures, it was actually probably one, it was probably just a tree that had been cut down. And they crucified him like this on that tree. And it wasn't real high. They'd had to pick it up real high to set it in there. So it wasn't very tall. He might not have been off, his feet might not have been off the ground that far. I mean, he was really close. And they may have been a little higher than that, but not much. And I believe if you'll look that up and search that out, I believe you'll find that so. But here they would. They stood by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, very close by. And look who it is that's standing there. There's his mama. There's his mother. And there's four other women. Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And our Lord Jesus was so in control, That he looked and he saw his mother. He's paying attention to what's going on around him. And he looks and sees his mother standing there. And he sees his disciple whom he loves standing there, John. And he says, woman, spoke to her with a clear, strong voice. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So you see this scene taking place at the cross. Our Savior's nailed there. Blood is all over him. Got a crown of thorns on his head. And he's nude. He is nude. They stripped him of his clothes. And look at this scene from his mother's view. From their view. These two people who loved him. There's his mother. No mother wants to see their children suffer. To see your child sick. To see your child even have a fever. Grieves you. Worries you. Makes you walk the floor. Makes you carry him around. Makes you carry him to the emergency room. But here she's seeing her son being cruelly mistreated. Being beaten, laughed at, mocked, screamed at, hollered. Seeing soldiers gambling for his clothes. And seeing that blood all over him. She no doubt is standing there and her heart is broken. Tears are streaming down her face. She is in pain. She is in great grief. Her own self. As she sees her blessed son. And that comes to pass the prophecy. Where they told her. says When the angel said. A sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. When she seen her son suffering. Her soul suffered also. And then those disciples that loved him. And that he loved them. They stand there and they see their hope. They see their Messiah. They see their Savior. The one whom they put all their trust in. All their future in. There in awful agony, suffering and dying. So what an awful scene. But look here in verse 28. or yeah, twenty-eight. After this, after our Lord Jesus commended his mother to John and John to his mother. And I believe that he became her son and, and, and he treated her just like he would his mother. Loved her, cared for her, protected her, met all of her needs from then on. And after this, after these things had been done, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Our Lord here, knowing that all things should be accomplished, saith, I thirst. There were seven utterances that our Savior made from the cross. This is the fifth one. And he says, I thirst. He's hanging there on that cross. His mother hears him say this. His other disciples, everybody there hears him say this. And what is this? I thirst. The one who measures the waters. In the hollows of his hand. The one who sets the bounds of the sea. And say you can come this far. And come no further. The one beloved who created heaven and earth. The one who measures The cast of nations as a drop in the bucket. The Lord of glory. The high king of heaven himself in need of a drink. Saying I thirst. The beloved of the father. In whom the father delighted. Crying out I thirst. I thirst. Oh my soul. And to say I thirst. It tells us us some things. It shows us some things first thing it teaches us is this it shows us his humanity that he was indeed a man you see he wasn't man deified he wasn't God humanized he was God as if he was not man and he was man as if he was not God and yet he was God and man in one undivided person the Lord Jesus Christ was God man he was God before he ever became a man And once he united himself with flesh and became a man, he'll forever be a man. He was God when he came in the womb of a virgin. But yet to be identified with us, he took upon himself human nature. And so he was forever God. And once he took humanity, he's forever man. And that's why John said that, and we, the word. The one by whom God did all things was manifested in the flesh. And we beheld his glory. What glory that God would come down. That God would take upon to himself human nature and human flesh. And be identified with us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. And the scriptures tells us that he was made like unto his brethren. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That he might be made partaker of flesh and blood. That he might be a faithful and merciful high priest in all things pertaining unto God. Now our Savior as a man. I don't understand these things but I know they're so. It says when he was 12 years old he increased in wisdom and in stature. How does God do? God don't increase in wisdom and in stature. But he was a man. And he says, I thirst. And as a boy, 12 years old, it says he increased in wisdom and stature, both with God and with men. And it tells us one day that he was weary on his journey, and he sat down by a well. God don't get weary, but the Lord Jesus Christ got weary. The Scriptures tells us he was a hunger. God don't get hungry. He said, if I was hungry, would I ask of you? The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. And yet, when he went to that fig tree, and he was hungry and rest to get a fig, and there was no figs on it, he cursed it. Now, God don't get hungry, but man don't curse a tree either, and it dies. And all oh, beloved, and he slept. Got tired, and he had to rest. And he laid down the hole of a ship, and he slept one day. And yet, when they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not... No. That we would perish. And he walked out and he caused that storm to be still. God don't sleep. But man don't calm the sea either. But our Savior was God in man. And And he marveled. God don't marvel at anything. But the Lord Jesus, two things he marveled at. Unbelief. It astonished him, marveled him that somebody would not believe. And he's marveled that men would believe. Two things. It's a marvel. Don't you think it's a marvel that you believe? What a miracle of the grace of God that you believe. That you're trusting someone you've never seen. Believe you've got a righteousness of a man who sits at the right hand of God. Believe that you're justified from all things and all your sins are gone. And that you, when you leave this world, will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ beholding Him. And you in your sin, you with your flesh, you with your weaknesses, you with your inability, you in your deadness, you with all that you are, that you believe, what a marvel! And then what a marvel that you wouldn't believe God Himself. And all beloved, and then not only that, but He wept. Our Savior stood and wept. Tears came down His face. He cried. And He prayed. He prayed. God don't need to ask anybody anything. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He prayed. And it also tells us that He rejoiced. And it tells us as He stood outside Lazarus' tomb, He groaned. How many times have you groaned? He hears our groanings which cannot be uttered. And he himself groaned. And here it says, I thirst that he is thirsty. Now, beloved, God does not thirst. We never read of an angel ever thirsting. The only people that thirst is men. But let me show you something. Look in Revelation seven. Look in Revelation 7. There's coming a time. God don't thirst. Angels don't thirst. And one of these days there's coming a time when we'll never thirst. (laughs) Look here in Revelation 7, 16. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Oh my, there's coming a day God don't thirst, but Christ did. Angels don't thirst. And there's coming a day when you and I will never thirst again. But here our Lord, in the depths of His humiliation, He says, I thirst. He said that you turned my summer into a drought. Talked about His own self. This cry comes, this cry of our Savior, I thirst, comes after the three hours of darkness on the cross. After the God pulled down the curtains of heaven. After God would not let men see what transpired on that cross. After God pulled down the curtains and turned out the light. So men wouldn't see the sufferings of His Son. And that great transaction that took place between the two. After the three hours of darkness and the sun come back out. He says, I thirst. This is after he had endured the fierceness. Of the wrath of God. That was poured out on his soul. Poured out on his body. Poured out on him. Beloved that should have been poured out on us. And yet beloved. Instead of it consuming him. He consumed it. In our room instead. But when he says I thirst. He didn't say I thirst for the relief of his suffering. When you and I are thirsty, we drank to relieve our suffering, our desire, our need. Not our Savior. When He says, I thirst, He didn't cry out, I thirst, so that they'd give Him something to drink to relieve His suffering. That's not the reason. You see, He was the one who caused the water to flow out of the smitten rock in the wilderness. He was that rock that followed them in the wilderness. Our Lord Jesus by not even a word turned water into wine. He could as easily have met his own needs. He could have met his own needs done away with his thirst without even a thought. But why didn't he? Why didn't he? I'll tell you why. Because it is written. Written of me, he said. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Lo, I come. I delight. I delight to do thy will. And he came to do the will. And because it was written of him that he should thirst, he says, I thirst. Uh-huh. You see, even in our Savior's death, just like in his life, he fulfilled the Scriptures to the minutest detail. He believed and acted and said that the Scriptures was to him the Word of the living God. And see, here he makes known his need. Not that his need might be relieved, but that the Scriptures. Might be fulfilled. Ain't that what it says? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. I thirst. That's the only reason he said it. Though he was thirsty, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. And it says, Jesus, knowing all things that were now accomplished. Now, here's a man who had hung on that cross for six hours. Had passed through sufferings that you and I can't possibly conceive of. We suffer a little bit. Won't be long. Everybody know about it. But not him. He had passed through sufferings. The physical sufferings wasn't nothing. Those other men were on that cross and they were suffering. But it's who it was that was suffering that made his suffering so great. It was who it was. And it was who that was causing his suffering. It was God really that was causing his sufferings. He was ordained to these sufferings. And he had hung on that cross for six hours. And had passed through sufferings that you and I cannot conceive of. To be forsaken of the Father. To bear the wrath of God. To have sin charged to his count. And yet here he is. He is clear in his mind. His memory is perfect. He is completely self possessed. And he, in a moment, viewed all the prophecies concerning himself and knowing all things that should be accomplished concerning himself. He said, I thirst! I thirst! Because it was the appointed time for him to say, I thirst. And he thirsted on the cross that you and I would have the water of life freely. And what was given to him to drink, look in verse 29. He saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon Hysop and put it to his mouth. Now you hold John 20, uh, uh, John 19, and look over in Psalm 69. Look in the 69th Psalm, just a moment. Our Savior. Our blessed, blessed Savior. Now there's a place where it says they gave him vinegar and gall to drink. Now vinegar and gall was to deaden pain. They'd give it to men who were being crucified. That gall mixed with that vinegar would deaden their pain. It'd be like me and you taking a pain pill. And they'd give it to him to deaden his pain and his suffering. And that's the way people are, people are dying now. They've got these concoctions. You know I've been with people. And they give them three or four different drugs. That when they're fixing to die. So that they'll just. Won't suffer when they die. They just kind of go to sleep. These hospices and things. Well they had this vinegar and gall. They mixed the vinegar in it. And they rest in into the gall. Mixed it up. And they put it up to his lips. And our Lord wouldn't drink that. He's not going to take anything to deaden in his pain. He's not going to. Take that. He's going to suffer. And he's going to do it willingly. He's going to do it joyfully. He's going to do it to fulfill the will of God. He's got to suffer. So that you and I don't have to suffer. What he did. But here when they offered him this vinegar. Look what it said in Psalm 69. In verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Oh, my. And here, when they offered him that vinegar and put it to his mouth, he took it. He wouldn't take the gall, but he took the vinegar. And why did he do that? To fulfill the scriptures. To fulfill the scriptures, the Father's will. And then in verse 30, it says this. In John 19. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. You see, he took it. Wouldn't take the gall. Wouldn't take the gall and vinegar when they offered that to him. At the outset of being crucified. Six hours later, he says, I thirst. And they gave him the vinegar to drink. And he received it. And then he said, it is finished. He said, It is finished. And this is the. Briefest cry. Of our Savior from the cross. It's the briefest cry. Yet it's the fullest cry. When he says it is finished. All things. When he says Jesus knowing all things. Should be accomplished. All things. When he said it is finished. All things. Had been done. Which the law required. The law requires that you and I keep it from the cradle to the grave. And if we don't, it demands our punishment, our death. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, He fulfilled it. He obeyed it. He rendered full obedience to the law of God. So there is no reason for the law to inflict its punishment and penalty upon Him. But when the law came, not only did he obey all of its precepts, but he suffered all of its penalty. Not for his own sin, for he had no sin. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. And so the law, not only did we keep it in our Savior. But we also suffered its penalty in our Savior. That's why who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. It's Christ that died. Yea, rather is even risen again. And then all things were established which prophecy had predicted. Everything that our Savior was predicted of Him was fulfilled and accomplished. All the prophecies concerning Him. He even... After his resurrection, when he walked to his disciples, he started at Moses and the Psalms and the prophets and opened their understanding of the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, whenever you find out that this blessed book is about the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes a new Bible to you. Now, most of you all been in religion most of your life. And all you've done when you've seen it before you've seen Christ and got saved by the grace of God, all you saw was law and works. Trying to do something to be accepted of God. Trying to do something to get rid of your sin. But when God made you see Christ and revealed Christ to you, and you saw that salvation was the Lord, you said, that's a new Bible. to me. I never saw that before. I didn't even know that was in there. Huh? This this blessed book. I on Sunday nights at home, what I'm trying to do is is I take an old testament picture of Christ. And I try and I use one, Gary, that when I go to the I want to see it what it says about Christ there, and then go to the New Testament and show that it's fulfilled in him. Like that rock that was smitten. The New Testament says, and that rock was Christ, which followed them in the wilderness. How does a rock follow you? They went for 40 years in the wilderness. That rock was smitten and water came out of it. And for 40 years, wherever they went, that rock went with them. Now, how they didn't carry it. Huh? How did that rock go with them? Well, that rock was Christ. He goes with us where we go, don't he? how can that be he's the Lord he's the Lord and all things were fulfilled concerning all the types Abel's lamb he was Abel's lamb Noah's ark where they put when when Noah was this is I know you've heard this but when God told Noah to prepare that ark there was one door One door, one window. And the scripture says that God told Noah, Come thou into the ark. So that means that the Lord was in the ark. He said, Come thou into the ark. He didn't get outside and say, Now Noah, go into the ark. He was said, You come into the ark because this is where I'm at. This is the place of safety. This is the place of salvation. This is the place of security. So he come in and Christ, that rock... That ark was Christ and He was in Christ. Now the wrath of God and judgment of God fell on that world and it fell on that ark. But those inside that ark, not one drop of water, not one speck of judgment fell on them. It fell on the ark. And that, beloved, that serpent lifted up. Our Lord said as Moses lifted up the serpent. That Passover lamb, Christ is our Passover sacrifice for. That mercy seat in the tabernacles, David said last night, that mercy seat was the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were fulfilled concerning the times. All things were accomplished which the Father had given him to do. He said, Father, I finished the work that you give me to do. Now, give me the glory that I had with you before the world was. All things were performed that were needed. For our redemption. Nothing left to be done. There was nothing left warning, nothing left to be done. Sin's wages had been paid. The wages of sin is death, he suffered death. Divine justice was satisfied and we know. Because he arose early one Sunday morning. And it is finished. It's one word in the Greek. I know, I know, I know very, very little, I don't well, I don't know any Greek i got dictionaries that has it in it. And this word, it is finished, is one word in the Greek. It's called teleo. And it's different uses of the same word. And we'll see the fullness and finality of the work in using this. And I'll just quote them to you. I won't make you look at them. But over in Matthew 11, 1, it says that when Jesus had made an end of commanding his disciples. That word teleo means it's the same word as it is finished, made an end of. And then there's another word when those who collected taxes, they came to Peter and says, Does thou, Master, pay tribute? That word pay is to lay Pay. And then when they took our Lord Jesus, when He is eight days old, to the temple to sacrifice Him, they performed all things according to the law. That word performed is to lay and our Lord Jesus told His disciples, We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And all things which were to be accomplished concerning Him. That word accomplished is to lay Now you put all these words together. Made an end of. Paid. Performed. Accomplished. Put them together. And you'll see what it is finished actually means for us. He cried it is made an end of. He cried. It is paid. He cried. It is performed. He cried. It is accomplished. What was made an end of? Our sins. Our guilt. What was paid for? The price of our redemption. What was performed? The utmost requirements of God's law. What was accomplished? The work which the Father Gave him to do. What was finished? Salvation. All of it. Complete. Full. Finished. The atonement's been made. God is satisfied. Now what's there left for me to do? But to rest. To rest. Just to rest in what he did. If God's satisfied with him, I'm satisfied with him. Why wouldn't my soul be satisfied? My conscience. Scott reads, I keep telling you what Scott says. I'll never forget it. Years and years ago, it was at Don Fortner's. And Jack, we ain't known one another 30, 40 years. I'm, I'm not that old. Not much past 40. Not too far past it. But uh, no wonder about 25 years, 26, something like that. But uh, as it dawned, and Scott Richardson was preaching, and he said, <clears throat> he said, there's only one thing that'll quiet a screaming conscience. And if you ever had your conscience smite you, ever had your conscience torment you, ever had your conscience bother you, he said, the only thing that'll satisfy a screaming conscience. Is the same thing that satisfies God. And you know what satisfied God? The blood of His blessed Son. The death of His Son. And when you see what satisfies God, it'll satisfy your conscience. And your conscience will never ask for anything else. Now in religion, your conscience will never say, I've prayed enough, I've given up, I've I've never read enough. I've never attended church enough. I've not witnessed enough. There's never enough in religion. But when you see Christ. Your conscience. When that blood's applied. Your conscience will say. That's enough. You never ask for anything else. Ain't that right? It's satisfied. And if your conscience is not satisfied. I can tell you right now. You don't have Christ. Because where Christ is, there's rest for the soul. You'll quit struggling. You'll quit fighting. And that's why the apostle stood and said this. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all who believe shall be justified from all things which you could not be justified. By the law of Moses. And look what it says. And I'm through. In verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He said it is finished. And he bowed his head. You notice it said he bowed his head. Don't say his head flopped. Just yielded. He was upright. He was erect. He was in control. Knowing all things that should be accomplished. Then he just bowed his head. Like you and I would pray. Bowed his head. Let's bow our heads. He bowed his head. And the scripture says he gave up the ghost. Jack already said it in John 10. Herein doeth my father love me. Because I lay down my life for the sheep. No man takes it from me. I've got the power to lay it down. I've got the power to take it up again. He bowed his head. And he died. When? At his hour. At his moment. At the time he was supposed to. And beloved. No one else has ever done that. You know when I'm going to leave here. I won't just bow my head and go. I'll hold it up as long as I can. And then when it's gone. It'll just fall of its own. But our Savior. Willingly. Joyfully. Gladly. out his head and die to save sinners like you and me. Oh, what a blessed, blessed Savior. Do y'all have that song in your songbook? What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. What a wonderful Savior. Is that in that hymn book? It's hide that it's uh, Hide Me. He hideth my soul. That's the name of it. Do you all have that in your songbook? Y'all you care to sing that? <laughs> What a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. What a wonderful Savior to me.